What is it that you crave out of life? What are the main desires you have for a life well lived? As a follower of Jesus, what is the life God has always wanted for you? In this message series, we'll explore Trinity's six core values. This week, we'll focus on God loves your family, and so do we. We value and invest in marriages and families. We believe families are the primary spiritual influence in shaping the next generation. Therefore, we value moms and dads, and single parents, blended families, grandparents, and everyone committed to pointing kids to Jesus. We value being an ally to help you disciple your kids, your grandkids, and the kids God has placed in your relational world. These are the things that we care about most and how they might lead to the life we've always wanted. Good morning, Trinity Church. It's really good to see you this morning. I walked out of the front door and realized I need a sweater, and uh, it's a little cold out there. Hey, today is a special day for us because, uh, first of all, we get to celebrate Sanctity of Life Sunday. And yes, that deserves... Applause and praise. I love the fact. I love the fact that God has created life and He values it, and we get the opportunity to do that as well. And it also is a special Sunday because today we get to focus on our core value of love for the family. And so those two coalesce just so beautifully. I really believe God has kind of put those together on the same Sunday. And I want to encourage you this week uh, to talk. First of all, I want to talk a little bit about Sanctity of Life Sunday because. Our church supports the San Bernardino Pregnancy and Resource Center. And this is an organization that helps mom and dads value the life of children. It gives uh, moms, young moms, alternatives to abortion. And it embraces them into this Christian uh, experience of God's love. And the amazing thing is that they've been doing this since 1973 when I was a sophomore in high school. That was a while ago. So they've been doing it a long time, and uh, their motto is, everyone deserves a birthday. And I love that. That's a great motto. Hey, if you go to our website, uh, you can type in in the search bar, Sanctity of Life 2023, and what you'll see is uh, a slide that gives you ways that we can support this resource center. So this week, uh, I went on there and uh, picked out some Huggies, uh, you know, that could be donated. Uh, you can either give direct donations, you can pick off of the uh, Amazon wish list, and you will need to type in the address, which you'll find out at the bottom of that portion of the, uh, the website. But I would encourage you to take a moment this week and find a way to support this pregnancy center. Uh, they serve a lot of people, and they do it in a great way. And I think it's one of the great things we do here at Trinity. So let's take a moment and pray for them. Let's pray for ourselves as we talk about God's love for the family and how he expresses that in the word of God. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, you love the family. Not only did you create it as a special aspect of your original creation, you have made the church the family of God. And you've also given us kids to treasure and value and and we do that in a variety of ways. We raise our own children to know you. We bring in foster kids and we adopt kids. Father, um, Olive Crest assists in that, us in that. And this resource center, this pregnancy center does the same thing, Father, of just valuing life. And so we pray that you would encourage them 
Give them the resources that they need. Help them to know that we as a church and other churches in the area do stand with them because we want to make this statement in the community of the love of God for uh, people, for children. And God, we also pray for the families of our church that uh, they would continue to find the companionship and conversations here at Trinity that they crave. Father, that the uh, ministries of our church would come alongside them and, and assist them in training their children and loving and guiding their children, and that this would be an effective relationship, an effective uh, bond that we share together. And Father, for the communities, uh, the families in our community who are looking for a place to be loved, for a place to find kindness and truth, Father, bring them into the church, whether it be Trinity or any other church in our area who loves you and loves the word of God. Help them to find that connection, we pray. And we ask that in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. So let me ask you a question. Who loves your family? I asked my wife that at our <clears throat> breakfast table, and I said, that's the question I want to start off with this week. Who loves your family? And I said, her, who do you think loves our family? And she said, uh, other family members. And that is true. We look around at family members, and oftentimes we have those relationships with a brother or sister or grandparents that really expresses love and kindness in our family. It could be that you depend more on close friends for that type of love and support of your family, and that's a wonderful thing. It may be your home group, and I continue to encourage all of us, let's, let's get into these home groups where we can find that kind of support and love and guidance and encouragement. Could even be a neighbor you've known for years. I talked to one person this last week who said, I've lived in, in Redlands for 40 years, same place. That's a lot of neighbors. For others, it might be a government agency that helps them out. But the question is, who loves your family? Think about that for a moment. Come up with an uh, answer to that this morning. Who loves your family? Who would give their shirt off of their back for your family? The last dollar in their wallet for your family. And what I want to direct our attention to this morning is an answer to that that I think is uh, one of the very best places to begin and that is with God himself. He loves your family. He makes a difference in our lives. Just like a lot of these people make a difference in our lives, he is the one who is able to change the dynamic of our family life in tremendous, uh, dramatic ways. So today we're going to celebrate that, the reality of God's love for your family and the reality of Trinity's love for your family. All of the people on staff who do these ministries that we support have as their goal to come alongside your family and love on them. And we want to continue to work at that and grow in that. But for this morning, I want to direct us to two passages, uh, main passages. They're both in the Old Testament. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, would you open them to Genesis chapter 1? And we're going to just start at the very beginning of all things and begin to look at the life of the family and how God loves the family. So I'm reading for you out of the ESV version. Genesis 1, verse 1, and a few verses after that. Excuse me, verse 26, and a few verses after that. Then God said, Genesis 1, 26, Let us make mankind in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and so God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, every tree with seed in its fruit. You will have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given green plant for food. And it was so. And notice verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? Very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day, Genesis 1, 26 through 31. We know that God loves the family, first of all, because he created it. This is God's idea. He makes man and woman humanity. He commands them. The very first thing he says to them, be fruitful and multiply. Have kids. Fill the earth with them. So he creates the family unit. And then he declares that it is very good. So he holds the patent on the family unit. It's his idea. But it's also his delight. He loves the family. And it's true that no one ever creates anything that they hate or despise. Would you agree with that? I have never in the 40 years of my marriage to Lisa ever, ever, ever said to her, please make liver and onions for dinner. (laughs) And the reason why is I'm not a fan. My mom was growing up, and so we had it fairly regularly, but it was never on my palate. And so I've never said to her, hey, would you create that dinner for us because I just can't wait to have liver and onions tonight? No, no, no. Likewise, you and I don't invest time and energy into things that we loathe. You just don't do that. At least I hope you don't do that, right? Instead, we create things that we delight in. Baked goods. How many of you like to bake? Oh, good. I love you folks. I love the smell of cookies in the kitchen, all of those wonderful things. We delight in them, in music, creating music, or quilts, or art, or technology. These are things that we enjoy, and so we create them. And God creates at the beginning of time this family unit, not just because it's a nice idea, but because he loves it. I want you also to notice this morning what he did not create. He did not create bureaucracies. He could have. God can do anything. He could have at that moment after Adam and Eve said, here's this organization to help you with parenting your kids. Right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't create political parties to advocate for the needs that parents are going to have. He doesn't do that. He doesn't plant a church, the EV Free of Eden, right there in the garden. There's your church. He doesn't create that. He doesn't start a Christian school. He doesn't uh, begin an Awana program. He doesn't have crew. Uh, he doesn't have young life. He could have. And I think I want you to ponder that for a minute. Would you agree God could create anything he wants? Yeah. He creates the family, and then he stops. And it says he rested And he said, it's very good. There's nothing else you need in the garden to live life the way you should live it, with your family. Nothing is lacking. Everything is complete. No more is needed for Adam and Eve to bring children into their home. There's a website called Mom's Delight that I've enjoyed reading this week. And 
The gal who writes it says, family is not just another group you can belong to. It is God's foundational institution, one which he began with the first human beings, and his original architecture included ties not meant to be severed. And its base was covenant instead of emotion. As the Bible is God's communication of his ideals, even his personality, so we see repeatedly throughout the Bible, his book, that the structure of family is his design, and it contains within it the essences of communion and government. Families do more than exist for tied commercials. Right? They're here for more than just this commercial aspect or the highlighting to promote things. They are conduits of God's grace to humanity and a microcosm of the workings of heaven. I love that last phrase. They are conduits of God's grace to humanity, a microcosm of the workings of heaven. He loves the family. Imagine this morning that you are Adam or Eve in the garden. God has just created you. He's just given you this command. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. And you're listening to that. It's resonating in your mind, and you're talking to each other about, okay, well, uh, kids, what are we going to name them? <laughs> Where are they going to live in the garden? Uh, how are we going to feed them? What are the dreams for their futures? And how are we going to get them to know God the way we know God? Isn't that a question most Christian parents ask? How can I get my kids to know God the way I know God? Well, you can't take them to church. There is none. You can't put them into a Christian school or some other organization that's going to help tutor them and progress them forward in their faith. There's no youth group. There's uh, no Christian preschool. In fact, there's no other adults around except the two of you. And God has given you this command. You would probably plan to do for them what God has done for you. You'd get up in the morning, and we know sin interrupted this whole process, right? We know Cain and Abel were born outside of the garden. But if sin had not interrupted it, they had been obedient to God, Cain and Abel would have been born in the garden. And they would have said, uh, Adam and Eve said to each other, what do we do? Well, we hear God walking in the garden. Let's go join him. So you grab your kids, and you walk over there, and you go, hey, God, Cain, Abel, can we have some time with you? I think that is the best definition of family discipleship you can ever find. We just take our kids with us, and we go, and we walk with God. Tim and Kay Nicolette and their family uh, are one of three families I want to have you hear their story this morning, have mused and thought about this idea of God loves our family, and, and he wants us to bring our kids to be with him, to know him. And so I asked them actually to share this morning. They put together a video. I'm hoping the tech guys have got this figured out because this morning we had a few tech challenges. So if we can, let's run that right now. And I want you to hear their story. One thing we've done to raise our children towards spiritual maturity is what we call family worship time. In the evenings, we read the Bible together, we pray together, and we sing a hymn together. When our children were little, we started out reading picture Bibles. Since then, we've read story Bibles, Bible study books, and books of the Bible. This has been a time for discussions of scripture and of faith, as well as of things that are going on in our lives. 
It's been a time of connection. It's been a serious time, but also a time of a lot of laughter. When the girls were younger, we had a bin full of musical instruments that they would play while we sang together. And that was fun for all of us. And then and now we all snuggle up on the couch and the girls now trade off which days they do the Bible reading. So what if somebody doesn't want to have family worship time? Well, then we've discovered something very interesting and it's worth going on a tangent to figure it out. And while it's an interruption to our plan, it's really very valuable in finding out what's going on in our children's hearts. Which leads us to what we've tried to do when we have to correct our children. When we've tried to help them understand that it isn't just about us as parents getting our way, but it's about whether or not our lives are being pleasing to the Lord. So what I would recommend in starting your journey of training your children for spiritual maturity is just to start. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to have all the answers. That's a good question is a very good starting answer. You can make it a collaborative effort with your family. And I found that for family worship time is as much about listening to our children and asking open-ended questions as it is about teaching them. At the beginning of the pandemic, when everyone had all this newfound family time, I thought this would be a perfect time for people to implement some sort of family worship time into their daily lives. So about a week into the world shutting down, I wrote a blog post encouraging families to that end. It's full of ideas and resources that can be used to help develop spiritual maturity in your families. But whatever you choose to do, be consistent. Do we ever miss a night? Yes. But if this is truly important to you for your family's spiritual growth, make it important. It's never too late to start some sort of family worship time with your family. two things about uh, Tim and Nicolette's video that I really like. One is they just say, as a parent or parents-to-be, just, just start. Can't you imagine that's what Adam and Eve had to decide to do? How do we do this? Well, let's just start doing it. And I love, too, the fact that they use the idea of worship. We started off our service talking about how worship is a warfare, declaring our allegiance. And so for them, it's Let's lead our kids in worship, and let's make it fun, let's make it enjoyable, but, but let's at least just begin to work at it as parents. So we find, first of all, that God loves our, our family because he created the family. Secondly, God loves your family because he purposes good things for it. Now, we realize in our world today that there are families that are struggling. Some of us have struggled over the years. My family and I have had moments of great crisis and great difficulty and struggle, and so it's never a perfect thing. But God has said, there are things I want for your family. And they come through a certain process that I want to reveal to you. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God lays out for us some of the good things that he desires uh, to be in this thing that he delights in. So he provides not only the pattern, but he also provides the resources. So look at verses 1, 2, and 3 of Deuteronomy 6. Now this is the commandment, the statues and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. So he, he says to Israel and to all the families of Israel and the New Testament says these things are written for our instruction so we know they're for us as well. He said as you go forward, as you progress in life, as you enter into these new environments, there are things I want you to keep in mind. And he describes them as commandments and statutes and rules that God had commanded Israel to follow as they went into the land. And he says, number two, that you may fear the Lord your God and you and your son 
and your grandson. So there we get this generational flow of God's description of, I want this to be something that doesn't just happen in your life. I want it to be in your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. And, and the starting point is right here with the commands and, and the fear of God. By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life. And this is where he begins to say, here's the good stuff that I want for you. He says, so that your days may be long. So that your days may be long. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Hear, therefore, Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So pause for a moment and ask yourself, what is the greatest thing a mom and dad can give to their children? What's the very best thing that a mom and dad could give as a gift to their kids growing up? This passage tells us that, number one, it's yourself. And isn't that encouraging? Because you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to go through all of these parenting resources to begin with. He says, start with you, your son, and your grandson. And the second part of that is, give them the fear of the Lord. Start with yourself, who you are. For you guys who are not yet parents, think about who, are, who am I as a person? What is my character like? How am I growing as a follower? Because we give them ourselves, and then we give them the fear of the Lord. What is that? Well, it uses the word fear, but in the Hebrew, it's this reverence. It's a respect. It's an awe of God. It is also a fear, a phobos, a concern about what God can do if you're on the wrong side of things, but it's this greater love for and respect of God. And we fear God because he is the key to a good life. All of his commands, all of his statutes, all of his rules and laws. He says, keep these in mind. One author puts it this way, just think for a moment. Breaking the commandments of God causes all kinds of problems for a person. For example, lying and stealing, adultery and murder cause all kinds of disturbed relationships and wrecked human life. You may have heard about the shooting last night uh, over on, in uh, the coastal area. Ten people dead, others wounded. Breaking the commandments of God produces pain. And God says, I don't want you to experience that. The author goes on to say, breaking any of the commandments of God causes all kinds of problems. Things like broken relationships, wrecked lives, accidents, unemployment, disease, divorce, bankruptcy, poverty, homelessness, death. The results of disobedience are terrible. The ravages of sin of disobeying God are seen within every community in the broken lives and families all around us. But this is the glorious message of this point. Obeying God will cause all things to go far better. If people obey the commandments, there will be far less, even no lying, stealing, adultery, murder. There will be far fewer broken lives and family, uh, families. Things will go well. People will live a far more victorious and satisfying life. So God's call to the family and to us emanates in this call for the fear of the Lord in our own lives, and it's to be taught to the next generation, generation, because it offers these things. It offers long days. Now, if you go through the book of Deuteronomy, you find time after time this phrase used. 
but the context is always in a stable, safe, productive society. Isn't that what we want? It's for our society to be safe and stable and productive. And, and Paul says to these Jewish people, look, that's what you'll get if you follow these commandments. Things will go well with you. You'll have experiences of good. It offers multiplication, increase in life and vitality. And all of these things are direct products of fearing God and obeying him. I asked uh, the Brewer family if they would also take some time and talk with us this morning about how they process this uh, idea in their family life. And, and by the way, it's going to be different than the K family. And we're going to have Allison and Eden come out at the end of the service and share a little bit more with us. And it'll be different than her family. But let's listen in as the Brewers talk about how do we process obeying God and the fear of God and teaching our kids to keep following him. Anybody that has kids know that they have a, an attention span of about 15 seconds, if that. And so we've found that when you just preach to the kids, um, they oftentimes don't relate and, and they just, it just becomes like a, a religion. And so what we've done is we've made real life examples. And so, you know, we went on a camping trip last weekend and, and one of the questions we asked actually yesterday was, you know, where did you see God in this trip? And uh, one of the kids said, uh, through the slot canyons and through the mountains and the rocks and all that stuff. So we were able to, to um, put it into real life situations for the kids to be able to um, identify. We homeschool all of our children. And um, one, one way that I do that is through Bible time and through our curriculum and just really focusing on God and how he's all around us and how he's in our lives. And um, we also were able to use, um, Cora is adopted. And so our adoption journey with her, we were able to pray together as a family. She was diagnosed recently with neurofibromatosis one. And so being able to pray together as a family over her and really just go through that journey and meeting other people through church that, you know, um, also have family members with that diagnosis. Uh, we were very intentional on how we raise the boys and teaching them how to be spiritual leaders and, and men. Uh, every Monday, I take the kids out to breakfast. Um, I take one of them out every single week. Uh, we go to Corky's, same time, 7 o'clock in the morning. So that's how we uh, are able to... to um, have one-on-one -on -one conversations with them. One of the things that we do when the boys turn 13 is we I take them on a one-on-one -on -one dad and son trip, kind of a manhood journey trip, um, anywhere in the country that they want to go. And so two years ago, Brody and I went to Utah and did a backpacking trip through Utah. Um, and then this year, Keaton and I are actually going to uh, do a whitewater rafting trip in the Grand Canyon and camped in the Grand Canyon and, and all that stuff. So, um, But it's what it does, it's created that one-on-one -on -one bond and an example of, um, of how uh, to raise your kids and uh, and how important the one-on-one -on -one relationship is and, and and we've kind of felt that uh, you know it's nobody's job to raise our kids for us we have the church to come alongside us and help guide us and and give us uh, the help when we need it um, but it's our job and responsibility to to raise them with homeschooling children and being a mom i have i have grown in my humility my humbleness um i you know, i make mistakes i'm a mom and I'm not afraid to apologize and let them know, especially that real life example of like, look, we all, you know, I'm not expecting perfection out of them. I'm not perfect. And so being able to apologize to them to show them like, look, mom is just as, you know, mom can be just as wrong as you guys. 
I just want to encourage you know people that you know we are uh, we're a wild family. Uh, we're very busy, and uh, you know with with my job and our schedule and. Um, it's very important that we are very, I know you're hungry, that we're very intentional on what we do. And so um, I think that sometimes we can get so busy that we don't, you know, the, the time just flies by. And, and so my encouragement is um, to, to don't be discouraged. Um, keep pushing forward. Rely on people to help guide you. Uh, work as a team. And I just feel like it's uh, um, one of those things where the kids are just going to grow up so fast. And so we have one opportunity. And uh, so I just, you know, I just want to encourage you to, to stay focused and steadfast and no matter what has failed, um, you know, try other things and that other people have used. Did you notice how different that story is? <laughs> right? More kids, boys, you know, experiences, books. Every family does this differently. And that's the beauty of it. The keys are the principles. What are we trying to do? How are we living this out? Am I being intentional about it? Is the fear of God a part of this overall process? Look back at Deuteronomy 6.3, would you? <clears throat> I want you to note the way we experience the good purposes of God in life. So Moses challenges the parents and their children to be careful to know and obey God's commands. Look at Deuteronomy 6.3. <clears throat> Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in this land flowing with milk and honey. So all of the good things that God has for the family all come back to this, this careful observation of what God has said for us, and following through with that. And by the way, this is not merely an Old Testament passage an Old Testament practice or principle. Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, and he says the same thing. He says, Children, obey your parents in the, in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And look at verse 3. What? That it may go well with you. You may live long in the land. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, 4, brings it right into our New Testament church experience. And then he says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't keep irritating them in your leadership of them. But instead, he says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's our job. So how do we do this? Because it can be very easy to feel like, that's overwhelming. I didn't sign up for that. How do I do this? How do I help my children in this world today know God and walk with him? Well, we begin as Adam and Eve would have, just bringing them and inviting them to God. I came to know Jesus Christ at the age of five with my brother at the age of four in my bedroom with my dad leading me to Christ. And we had a church of 5,000 that we attended. He took the time. And he met with us for just times of prayer and, and looking into the word of God. How do we do this? Number three, God loves your family because he commands that all of these good things be passed on through families by the parents. And he gives us some additional instruction. Look at verses four through nine of, of Deuteronomy six. So he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the great Shema passage of the Old Testament. Uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul and all your might. These commands that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall diligently teach them to your children. You'll talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So Moses and God are saying to us, if, if you want your children to experience the great things of God, what do we do? Well, as, as people today, what we're tempted to do is this. I want you to take your finger and point it at me. Everybody just take a minute. Take your finger. And, boy, that looks a little intimidating, actually. <laughs> Keep your finger out there. Because what our culture today says and what many uh, Christian parents are tempted to do is to point the pastor, finger at the pastor and say, you're the pastor, you're an expert in theology and spiritual formation, I will give my kids to you and you lead them to know Jesus Christ, right? And it is so easy to do that because how many of you went to Bible college? How many of you have had a strong spiritual mentor? How many of you have been just enriched? in all of the truths of the word of God, and you know exactly what Haggai and Malachi and Nehemiah and the book of Judah. Is that in the Bible? <laughs> ah, good for you. <laughs> you know everything they say. So it's a temptation to point to the Christian school or to the Awana program or to the pastor and the youth ministry and say, it's your job to make my children know Jesus. But what God says to us is this. Take that finger, put it back out there. Everybody? Point it back at your heart. Look at what he says. These words I command you today shall be on your heart. What does that mean? Well, I'll give you an example, positive and negative. Yesterday, our refrigerator started making really weird noises. Yeah, that's never anything you want to hear. Now, fortunately, we had heard the same noise once before, and I had, I looked, YouTubed it, right? I took the top part of the refrigerator back off, turned off the electricity so I didn't kill myself, you know, and you're looking, and the, the fan in there has ice around it. Ice is built up, and the fan is hitting the ice and making this ticking noise, right? And it's just so irritating. So I actually took about three or four hours, defrosted the entire top section, got it all working again, and thought, we are done until yesterday. And the same noise is coming on again. And so what is on my heart yesterday and this morning? I have to fix that fridge again today. And this time I have to order the part they told me last time I should have ordered to stick in there. So I'm actually going to do it three times. I have to order the part. It'll take three weeks to come probably. I'll do it again. That has been on my heart. What does it mean to be on your heart? It means you think about this a lot. When I first met Lisa... We worked at the same company. It was my dad's surgical supply and pharmacy. He had hired her two weeks before I came home from Moody Bible Institute. Admitted finally after 20 years, yeah, I knew you were coming back and I knew you would need someone to marry. Here you go. <laughs> we didn't realize ours was an arranged marriage, right? But I, had, I was working in the surgical supply part of the rental equipment, so I did all of the repairs and delivery of all of the wheelchairs and hospital beds and everything else had a desk in the back, and cookies began to show up there. <laughs> the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. <laughs> I began to have Lisa on the heart. I began to think about her more and want to be with her more and do things together more. I thought about it. And so when God says to us, let these things be on your heart, he's saying, don't, 
Don't let the hard things of the world be what you think about, the, the fears and the concerns and the anxieties. Don't let those dominate your heart. Instead, I want these words that I command you today to be on your heart. This is where our hearts become soft toward God. We think about him a lot and all that he has taught us. And then it says in verse 7, look at this, Deuteronomy 6, 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Teach them diligently to their children. So let me give you the four things you need to do as parents or parents to be. Number one, let your own heart be marinated in God's commands. Think about it. Let your heart be marinated in God's commands. Dwell on them. Contemplate them. Memorize them. Take time to really chew them and resonate on them. Secondly, be intentional about teaching what you are learning daily diligently to your kiddos. Do you know that you, have, you don't have to know it all as a parent? In fact, the very best thing as a parent you can do is just learn daily and admit it when you don't know the, the answer. Sometimes that's the best answer to say, I don't know, let's figure it out together. And learn and grow with them. So he says, teach these things. And then he goes on and, and he gives us four things that we can do or when we can do them. He says, use every moment and every means to talk about God. He says, when you sit down. Where do you do that at home? Well, you sit down around the dinner table. You sit down in the car. There are a lot of places we sit down together. When you walk. I would include driving with that, by the way. Use those times. When you lie down. When you rise up. That just about covers most everything, doesn't it? When you sit, when you stand. When you lie down, when you get up. And number four. Use your own actions and surroundings to proclaim the faithfulness of God. Some of you have artwork in your home that talks about God. Others of you use books with your kids that talk about God. Uh, you use MP3s, blogs, uh, music, all kinds of things, your surroundings to talk about God. And this is where the Jewish, the Orthodox Jewish people use their phylacteries and their mezuzahs, you know, right on the doorpost. And guess what they put in the mezuzah? Deuteronomy 6. Isn't that interesting? So every time they leave the house, they touch Deuteronomy 6. Every time they come in, they touch Deuteronomy 6. Why? Because it's the instructions on how to live a good life. There's one more family that I'm asking to share with you this morning, and we're going to wrap up our service with their comments, and that's Allison and Eden. And uh, so I'm going to ask them to come out right now. As you know, Allison is uh, the... Uh, director of executive director of Micah House. She works with women's ministry and she's a single mom and she has another way that she goes about this. But I want you to hear this final statement as we think about how God loves the family. And by the way, Trinity does too. This is one more attestation, one more statement of this is how we do it and this is why we do it. Well, good morning. It's fun to be back up here with you again. Um, I've loved listening to all these stories of the different families we've heard as well as what Doug has shared today and just the desire and the goal that our children would grow to know and love Jesus the way that we do. And I started this parenting journey with all kinds of ideas of, of what that was going to look like. And when I had um, three kids under five, I became an only parent. And all of a sudden, I was going to be the only one that was investing into my kid's spiritual life. But the thing is, God promises, and he's faithful to those promises, to provide 
everything we need to care for our kids, to grow them in the Lord. And so what he put on my heart was to create an intentional community, is what I call it. And what I began to do was look around for men and women who loved the Lord, and I knew their lives would influence my children towards God. So I started introducing them to my Bible study leaders at church and, and to their kids. I looked for parents. I looked for singles. I looked for younger people. I looked for older people. I looked for people in all different stages and ages in life that were following the Lord well and I knew would influence my kids. And so I would invite them over for play dates or we would go on trips up to Oak Glen or we would celebrate holidays together and we would do it with men and women, families who loved Jesus. And then I would talk to my kids about it. Hey, did you notice so-and-so? What did you hear at church on Sunday? Um, you know, I have two boys and boys are not really talkers. And so what I found was when you're driving in the car with a boy, all of a sudden, it's like magic. You're, <laughs> the distraction of the road and the not having to look eye to eye, they just start talking. And so I would find excuses to take one boy at a time on a drive, and then I would just ask them open-ended questions. Hey, how was your day? And if there was something in there, a nugget that I could tie back to the Lord, I would. How was, how was church? How was this? How was that? And pointing and directing them. Um, back to what God was doing in the lives of those around them. I wanted them to understand why these men and women lived their lives differently than the world. And as our kids grew, my kids grew, <laughs> you guys grew, our relationships ebbed and flowed, and there were different families and people that we interacted with. Um, and, but I, they were always surrounded by people that loved them and loved the Lord. And as teens, I began to see how some of this was paying off, how the Lord was using some of this. And they would start to comment on different things. And my son came home one day from a play date and said, hey, mom, I noticed that Mr. So-and-so prayed for dinner, and this is how they do life together for Jesus. And I wanted to have Eden come up with me today. She is my middle child, my only girl. And I thought it would be fun to hear from her, having grown up um, in this way and now a teenager, how that is, has affected her life. Yes, so just growing up and constantly being introduced to these godly people, specifically godly women at this church and my mom's small groups and Bible studies, just impacted how I viewed walking with Christ. And these women in my mom's Bible study, their daughters would come and babysit my brothers and I. And they would come over and they just had this radiance. They had so much peace and joy and they would pray with us and they would ask us how our days were and they would talk about just Jesus and his love for us. And as I've gotten older, I've just seen that how much being in the word and loving Christ impacts how I live and how looking at my community and seeing this is how this person gets closer to Christ. This is how this family honors the Lord with how they speak, how they interact with others, has just caused this desire in me to want that community for myself and to pursue Jesus with so much passion as I'm seeing the fruits of it in all different ages from babysitters to my friend's grandparents to our pastors here, just noticing the impacts of digging into community and pursuing Christ with all that we have so that we can just love each other. And I can even look around this room and see those people who have impacted me and just 
made me want to know and love Christ all the more. Awesome. Yeah, I think the deal is we don't have to look for ways to expose our kids to unrighteousness. The world is throwing thoughts and ideas and plans and systems at our kids all day long. I think as parents, we need to find ways to expose our kids to godliness and to people that are seeking after the Lord and running with us. And I think had I not been doing this on my own, I don't know that I would have sought that community. But I will tell you, being a part of this body and allowing the Lord to use Trinity Church as his hands and feet ministering to us has been one of the biggest blessings of parenting to me. And we have heard some incredible things today about different ways to parent in different stages, in different situations. And if you get our e-news um, from Trinity Church this week in our e-news, uh, we are have, sending a link of different resources for you, different ideas and plans. But more than anything, God has given our kids to our family on purpose, and he has placed them there for us to care for them, for us to train them and teach them in his ways. And eventually, they are going to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's our goal, right? We want them to know and love Jesus. So I'm just going to pray to that end for us as we close out our service today. Heavenly Father, you love our families, and you love us. And you love your family, the church. Father, thank you for putting us all together. Thank you for the different life experiences you've given, that we have an opportunity to pour into one another, that we have an opportunity to share your grace and your love in, in all ways. Father, we, I just pray. I pray for wisdom, pray for knowledge, pray for just abounding love throughout um, our families here at Trinity Church, and just thank you for your great love for us. In your name, amen.